Oh, well, good morning to you, Grace. Thank you, worship team, for leading us, and good morning to you. It's great to see you today. Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that well-known passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You came on a good day because we're going to find out about one of those gifts that we receive from God because of Jesus' birth and because of His death on the cross and our salvation from Him. If you're visiting us for the very first time, I want to welcome you. My name is Nathan. I hope you sit back and relax and enjoy your Sunday morning. And you might not have known this if you're relatively new to grace, but we hang out outside here in the courtyard before this service. Full-size donuts for free, Dunkin' Donuts coffee for free. We even have those little uh, creamers. Uh, those uh, flavored creamers that everybody loves so much. We only charge $1,000 for those. And uh, we do all of that uh, because we want to build friendships among Christians. Christian fellowship is an important thing for Christians, and Christians should find other Christians. So if you're relatively new to Grace and you're trying to find someone that you would, could be able to say hi to or sit with on a Sunday morning, maybe just come a little bit early and you might meet someone out here in the courtyard, your same age, your same stage, maybe somebody that has kids the same age as you or something like that. And just a thought for those of us who've been around Grace for a little while, you might feel like you already have enough friends. Uh, don't forget that other people might need you as a friend. We want to be a church that is open and welcoming to people who are looking for Christians as friends, and our courtyard is just an aspect of that that helps those initial friendships begin to occur. So I hope you'd spend a little bit of time in our courtyard every single Sunday morning. We came on a great day. This series is all about what happens when a Christian begins to internalize God's Word. When they meditate on God's Word and they begin to become introspective, that means it's not, it's about how this applies to me. It's not about them. It's not about they. They should know this. This is about me. How does this apply to me? How does this work out in my life? And as a Christian begins to meditate upon God's Word and begins to grow introspective about how these things would apply in their life, they begin to say things, whether out loud or internally, things like, you know... I never thought about that. I never really thought about that before. I never thought about it like that before. Now, today is an interesting one. Today is about biblical women's ministry. What is biblical women's ministry? Now, that's not exactly the question that I usually get. Usually, it's something like, is women's ministry even in the Bible? It's something like that. I've cleaned that question up to, what is biblical women's ministry? And I just want to be clear that the, the topic is not the role of men and women in a church. We've already covered that. I've preached many sermons on that. You can go to our website. You can even search on our website in the sermon section. You can just type in the role of men in a church or the role of women in a church, and you'll get several sermons that you can learn from there. That's not our topic, though that is foundational to our topic. Biblically, the role of men in a church is to submit to God. And they are to submit to God by taking the spiritual leadership within that church. Now, that doesn't come naturally to most men. For most men, being the spiritual leaders in a church, they don't desire that. That's not like intrinsic in a man to become the spiritual leader in a church. Because what most guys think is, I've been working hard all week. Now i got to do something on Sunday. Let somebody else do that. Biblically, though, the role of men in a church is to submit to God by taking the spiritual leadership in the church. And biblically, the role of women in a church is to submit to God. 
just like men, but to submit to God in a different way, to submit to God by following the leadership that's in that church. And that, for most women, doesn't come naturally for women either. That isn't an intrinsic thing for them either. Now, this whole thing about men taking the spiritual lead in a church is not about superiority and inferiority. This isn't about more intelligence and and less ability. God could have equally have made women leaders within the church. I learned that when I was in the sixth grade because you know how elementary school works. In elementary school, boys think that girls are ooey, they're guh, and they're dumb. That's how boys think. But in the sixth grade, the two smartest people in my class were both girls, the salutatory and the valedictorian. And my, I've never forgotten their names, Heather and Tammy. The two smartest people in my class were not, Nathan wasn't on the list, Heather and Tammy. And then I got to high school. In high school, I was the president of our honor society in our high school. And yet most of the people in the honor society in our high school were all young women. And then I go to college, and I'm taking business classes, and some of the smartest people in my business classes are women, not the men. And now, every single time I drive home at night, the smartest people in the house are two women in my house. And so, God could have equally have picked women to be the spiritual leaders in the home. It's not about superiority. It's not about inferiority of ability. Think about the Godhead, the Trinity. There's mutual submission within the Trinity. The Holy Spirit submits to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ submits to God the Father. And that's not about superiority or inferiority. That's not about more ability and less ability, and they're all struggling and fighting for uh, for some sort of reputation in the Godhead. No, it's simply an ease of function. Someone has to be the leader, but not everyone can be the leader. Someone has to be the quarterback, but not everybody can be the quarterback. And so it is within a church as well. Someone needs to lead, but not everyone can lead. But like I said, the role of men and women in the church is not our topic today. It's just foundational to what we're discussing today. Now, with a question like this, I know for most of us guys, we're thinking, sweet, I can sit this one out. I'll go get some of those free donuts right now, and I'll just sit outside and make my wife sit through this one. But today's not the day for that, because built within the answer to this question our men, men are within the answer to this question. And so today is not a day to sit out. Come back next week. I'll tell you if you can sit out next week when you come next week, all right? Now, you might be wondering why a sermon on women's ministry and not a sermon on men's ministry. I have, the answer is easy. I have never, either from anybody at Grace Community Church or anybody outside of Grace Community Church who found out that I was a pastor, I have never had anyone ever ask me what men's ministry is, ever. Now, that's a good question to ask. It's an important question to ask. As a matter of fact, our deacons and our elders have studied books, including the Bible, about men's ministry. But I have never, just in the wild, I have never had anybody ask me what men's ministry is. Now, today, the answer to our question here about women's ministry, we're going to get a taste of the answer of men's ministry as well in this process. Now, today is very uh, narrow. Um, Today is very uh, specific. Today is about biblically defining women's ministry. Because on the flip side of having no one ever ask me anything about men's ministry, 
I've had many people, some from Grace, but mostly women who are not a part of Grace who find out that I'm a pastor, uh, and they're wrestling with defining women's ministry in their own church, and they're just curious what my two cents are. And so today is very specific. It's about biblically defining women's ministry. Women's ministry and the Bible. Is it in the Bible? Is it in there at all? Because this phrase, women's ministry, can be confusing. It's ambiguous because the term women's ministry is nowhere in the Bible. Men's ministry is nowhere in the Bible. Kids' ministry, nowhere in the Bible. Donut and coffee ministry, definitely in the Bible. It's definitely there. And now, when it comes to women's ministry, you might not think that that's a confusing question. But that's only because you know what you're referring to. When someone uses the phrase women's ministry, they could be referring to one of three different things. They could be referring to women who are serving within ministry. They're conducting ministry. They're doing it. They're participating in it. They're they're a part of the body of Christ in their service. Or... When someone uses the phrase women's ministry, they could be referring to women who are recipients of ministry, that someone is building into their life, that they're discipling someone for their Christian growth, growing towards Christ, women growing towards Christ. So when someone uses women's ministry, it could mean them serving in ministry. It could mean them being recipients of ministry, but probably the most common assumption when this phrase is used is ministry that is for women, by women. Ministry with the goal of women's spiritual growth that is led by women. And in churches, this comes out in lots of different ways, Uh, small group Bible studies, uh, mission trips, spa days, beach trips, and all sorts of things. And so the question is, is this biblical? Is there anything in the Bible about this? And so this is our outline for today. We're just going to follow this outline. Are these things in the Bible? Well, why don't we start with the first one first? Women serving in ministry. Is this biblical? Well, you've turned in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians, it's all about a person who was a Christian receives abilities from God, these special gifts that are given by God. And then the number one purpose for these gifts is to use among the Christians that you find yourself around. So let's read this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 4. Christmas is all about gifts, so here we go. This is about gifts. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Well, let's stop right there. It's only Christians who have these God-given gifts, but any man, and to the point here, any woman who has been saved by Jesus Christ, who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, one of the benefits of being saved by Christ is that the third person of the Holy Trinity comes and lives inside of a person. That's a gift of grace, meaning that's something that we don't deserve. God's Holy Spirit living inside of me, that is a wonderful gift. But what's interesting about that, the Holy Spirit then gives every single Christian a gift or gifts, these passions and these abilities and these interests that they would have never have had before if it wasn't for God's Holy Spirit living 
inside of them. And so every single Christian has gifts that the Holy Spirit has given them. Sometimes they're just so hidden, you don't know what they are. You don't know what they are, but they're there. The Holy Spirit has given you and will give you gifts and the ability and the power to follow through on these interests and and passions and abilities that God gives you. And it tells us a little bit more about them. Verse 5, and there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord, varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. But each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The reason that, that we have these gifts from the Spirit is for the common good, for the good of other Christians, for the good of Christians that you find yourself around. Well, we're around you right now. And so these gifts are good for those other Christians that you find yourself around. The way that Peter puts it, he puts it like this. It says, each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. See, Peter's math is that when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Jesus is born as an infant, never sins. When he dies on the cross, he's not paying for his own sin, he's paying for ours. Any person who puts their faith and trust in Jesus, his death applies in our life because it didn't apply in his. He didn't need to die for his own sin, he died for ours. So any person that puts their faith and trust in Jesus, his death applies, the sin is removed, the the, the sins are forgiven, we have this new hope in Christ, and now God the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. And that Holy Spirit doesn't just come and exist, he gives these special gifts, these interests, these passions, these desires, these abilities that we wouldn't have had if it wasn't for him. And the way that Peter understands that, he calls this the manifold grace of God. We didn't deserve this. We didn't deserve the Holy Spirit. We didn't deserve salvation. But now he even gives us these interests and these passions to use among other Christians. And so his math is this is such a valuable thing, this gift, that it should be well-stewarded be good stewards. You should be managed well. How do I take really good care of this manifold grace of this gift that God has given me? And in Peter's math, the way that a Christian is a good steward of this gift that they're given is to employ it, to disperse it in serving one another, serving other people that are around you. Interestingly, and maybe even contrary to popular belief, spiritual gifts, these gifts that come from God's Holy Spirit, they're not first or primarily for people who are not Christians. This isn't first for evangelism. This isn't first to help push some car out of the road that that, that, uh, gets stuck in the road. This isn't first for giving money to nonprofit organizations. These gifts are first for benefiting the the other Christians for the common good of other people who are around you who are believers. Well, let's keep reading about these gifts, verse 12 of chapter 12. It says, For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. So he takes this idea and he puts it like in an analogy, in a picture, because I like pictures and he knew that. And so he has this picture of a body and your body has an eyeball and it has a nose and it has a pancreas and it has a mouth, you know? And, and they're all different parts. They all do different things and yet they make up a healthy body. 
And this is the picture of what it's like within a group of Christians that gather together within a church, where all these people have different abilities. They all play different parts. There's some eyeballs in a church. There's some pancreai, pancreases. I don't know. I don't know the the pancreai in a church. There, there, are, there are some mouths in a church, there's some ears in a church. And to put all together, when they all work healthily, it is a wonderful, unified, healthy body. Give some description. Verse 13, for by one spirit we all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we are all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And so if you say, as a Christian, well, you know, because I can't sing like these people up here, then my spiritual gift really doesn't matter. You can say that all you want, but that doesn't make the gift that God's Holy Spirit gives you any less important for Grace Community Church. Gives a few other examples here. Verse 16 If the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, which would be weird, but if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? And the point of this is is that every Christian has a gift, but it's going to be a different gift than the person that you're sitting next to. Most likely, you have a different gift than your spouse. Most likely, you have a different gift than someone that you're sitting next to. And the Holy Spirit is so unique, so personal, that likely every person in here has a different gift, a different passion, a different ability, at least different nuances to those that make you you. And he says here then in verse 18, but now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. We don't get to pick our spiritual gift. Bummer. (laughs) Man, when I was growing up in church, I so wanted to play a musical instrument. I would see the people play the piano, play the organ, play the guitar. I so wanted to do what happens up here, you know, for the, I so wanted to be on the worship team. And so when Tanya and I got married, I went out and I bought a guitar. And I started to learn, teach myself how to play the guitar from books. This was before the internet. Yes, that time existed, before the internet. And I started to learn how to play the guitar. And then YouTube became a thing. And so I took YouTube University to learn how to play the guitar. And here's what I learned about that. I could get, you could learn this part. You could learn the chords. But it was this part that you just, this part you can't, the the rhythm, I have no rhythm. When I play the tennis racket, I'm so good. But as soon as you put a guitar, I have no rhythm. That's why you don't want me clapping on a Sunday morning. I'm going to mess everybody else up. I have no rhythm. I wish I did, but I don't get to pick my gifts and you don't get to pick yours either. Now, there's a reason that you're here at Grace Community Church and not another church. You're here because our church needs the gift that God's Holy Spirit has given you. Look at verse 26. It says, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, All the members rejoice with it. The purpose of these gifts is unity in the body. 
that we all be unified together. We love together, we hurt together, we praise together, we grieve together. We are unified, and that is the benefit of these gifts that God's Holy Spirit has given us. And so the application to this question of, is women serving in ministry a biblical thing? The answer is, yes. God has given every single Christian woman abilities, spiritual gifts that are to be employed within the group of Christians that you find yourself to to be a good steward of the manifold grace of God in, in your life. And so not only can women serve in ministry, they should They must. A a healthy church has godly women who are using their spiritual gifts in it and so that it can contribute to the common good, so that it can help contribute to the unity of the body. And the Bible even goes further than that. The Bible gives a list of qualifications for an official role for women in the church called a deaconess. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, The Bible gives these qualifications to be this this official role of a woman serving in a church. And here are the qualifications. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate and faithful in all things. And when Christian women serve in ministry, it is not only a benefit to them, because they get to now be a steward of the manifold grace of God in their own life and they can grow spiritually. It's not only for the woman's benefit, it's also for the benefit of the rest of the body as those gifts, those gifts of God's Holy Spirit are being used within that church. In the New Testament, there are lots of examples of women who are healthily contributing to their churches, uh, Priscilla and Phoebe and others in these churches that Paul would by name recognize at the end of his letters were faithfully serving in their churches, contributing to the common good and contributing to the unity of those church bodies. And so, is women serving, participating in ministry biblical? Yes. It's important, and it's necessary. Secondly, what about women being the recipients of ministry? That someone be teaching them uh, the things of God for them to grow in their faith. Interestingly, Jesus said this, it's kind of known as the Great Commission, but this is instructions to church leaders. Matthew 28 says this, this is Jesus, he says, this is right before he sends up into heaven, right after he resurrects from the dead and before he goes up into heaven. He says this, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always even to the end of the age. And so the role of a local church is to make disciples. Our role is not to make Christians. We cannot make Christians. That is God's miracle. God is the one who makes Christians. But what a church is good for, what we do is we make disciples. Men and women who are following Jesus Christ. Men and women who want to be followers of Jesus Christ. And it gives, the, it gives us the, the exact directions in how to do that. First, baptize them, and then give them spiritual, biblical encouragement in knowing how to follow through in being a disciple. And interestingly, then, this is the instructions to men, the apostles, who are going to be the ones to start the first churches, who are going to write the the scripture in the next several years. And notice here there is a requirement that 
that the leadership in every church provide men and women with biblical teaching. That men and women are to be the recipients of biblical, spiritual growth kind of teaching within their church. And so in the local church, there are two people who are responsible for women being the recipients of ministry, that the women would be recipients. Men too, but our focus here is women. Now, the first group of people who are responsible are the elders within the church. This is what Hebrews 13 says about the elders of the church. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. The elders in a church are are a protective feature that they are going to give an account to God for your spiritual growth. Before you have to give an account, the elders are going to give an account for your own spiritual growth. And so that's why it's beneficial to to come to church often because you are more often under the spiritual protection of those elders who are going to give an account. And as an aspect of that, then the elders then are to watch over the souls of the people who are in that church. So the elders are protective in this way. Acts, as the church was beginning to grow, gives some further instruction regarding this protection of the elders. It says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. That term flock means the Christians that they happen to be responsible for. Be on God for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, the ones who are responsible for the Christians around you. And notice the instruction is that they are to shepherd the church of God. And the reason for that is because sheep need some direction. They need to know where to find the water. They need to know where uh, the food is, if it wasn't for a shepherd, they just kind of wander wherever because they just don't know where any place is, and so they need some direction in where to go. But this isn't only about direction, this is also about protection, because it, it talks about here further to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you and draw away the disciples after them. This is, this is what the elders are responsible for, is to be protective of the Christians that are within our church that, that could be snatched away by false teaching, by bad ideas, and they could be dragged somewhere else that is not in a healthy place of biblical teaching and Christian growth. And so the elders are, one, protective, but they also are directive. They also give direction to people. This is the way that Peter describes this of elders, referring to elders here. He says, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. There's that word again, being an overseer, the one that is responsible to God for the Christians that are around you. So shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, meaning no one tells you you have to, but voluntarily, according to the will of God not fond of sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. So not only are the elders to be protective, but they're also to be directive. Not only do they provide protection, they also give direction. 
in how to live a godly life, how to grow spiritually. And that is what elders do for both men and, on topic here today, and women. And the goal is, is that with biblical counsel and with a biblical perspective, anyone who is struggling, even a woman who is struggling, can be restored in her faith, can be restored in her church, can be restored in her family, which is a wonderful thing. And so this teaching, this protection and guidance comes in all sorts of ways at a church. Well, it happens to be happening right now. This is one way that the teaching is protective and guiding in a church. Also on Wednesday nights, we teach the Bible verse by verse, kind of personal application to whatever passage that we are studying uh, during that, uh, that series. We have this all over our church. We have our foundations class that's led by an elder, the basic foundations of the Christian faith. Pastor Chuck teaches growing kids God's way. We provide avenues of ministry where women can grow in their faith or Barnabas groups where uh, elders are the leaders of the Barnabas groups within our church or even just personal counseling within a pastoral office. In all of these ways, women are to be the recipients of ministry commanded by Jesus Christ that they would grow in their faith. But like I said, there are two people who are responsible. One, the elders of the church, but there's also another person who is responsible for the spiritual growth of the women within a church. This is the way that Paul says it in 1 Corinthians. He says, if they... Speaking of wives, if they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home. So the second person who is responsible for a woman being the recipient of ministry is her own husband. He owns this too. This isn't only in the realm of an elder. This is also in the realm of that wives, that woman's husband. Now remember, back to the whole foundational thing of men are to submit to God in a church. That's the role of men. The role of men in a church is to submit to God in that church. And the way that they submit to God is by being the spiritual leader in that church. And so if there's something that a wife wants to know or a woman wants to know, she just asks her husband, who happens to be the spiritual leader within the church. It kind of all goes together. And so if a woman is not growing spiritually, her husband owns it. Now, there's a wonderful passage in the Bible in Ephesians. It's all about marriage and a husband's role and a wife's role. But here's the husband's role as compared to Christ. In Ephesians 5, it says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Yeah, the husband is to sacrifice for his wife like that. Jesus even gave his life for us. Now, it's possible that, probable, that a husband won't have to physically give his life for his wife. But the whole point of this is that a husband is sacrificial, that he sacrifices for his wife. He sacrifices to provide for her physical needs. He sacrifices for his wife emotionally. He learns what makes her happy, and he does those things. And he learns what does not make his wife happy. And hopefully he does not do those things. But even in addition to that, he also provides for her spiritual needs. He provides for her in all of these areas, just like Jesus Christ does for us believers. And the goal for Christ is that that we would be sanctified. It says here, so that he might sanctify her. 
that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she would be holy and blameless. And so this is not only in the realm of the elders at a church, but this is lands right in the lap of husbands that they are responsible for ministry to their wives so that they grow in Christ so that they could be holy and blameless when they get to heaven. That's the goal. And so is this type of ministry, women being the recipients of ministry, is that biblical? Yes, it is definitely biblical. Now, the one that we most often think of, though, in all of this, and not the first two, probably the one that we think of the most when you hear that phrase, women's ministry, is ministry that is designed for women's spiritual growth, that they'd be the recipients, and then it is led by women who are doing that uh, discipling. In some churches, this comes in the form, as I mentioned, in uh, small groups. In other churches, this is more event-oriented with women's retreats and women's spa days and, and ski trips and, and, and beach days and all those kinds of things. So the question is, is, is that kind of ministry? Is this kind of women-to-women ministry, is that biblical? Is it in the Bible? Well, turn in your Bibles to Titus, Titus chapter 2. Obviously, you know that I'm telling you to turn somewhere, so you're already assuming that, it, yes, it is somewhere in the Bible. Titus chapter 2, that's further right in your Bible. Titus chapter 2, little hint in finding Titus. All of the T's in your Bible are all together. So Thessalonians and Timothy and Titus, they're all together boop, in the New Testament. So as soon as you find one, the other one's close. They're actually alphabetical. So they, they all go to, they're all alphabetical in the T's when you find them. Okay? So we're looking for Titus, Titus chapter 2. And Titus chapter 2 is not solely about women's ministry. It's about men's ministry, uh, men uh, discipling men, and it is also about women discipling women. And so we're going to just focus on the woman's side of that because that is the topic that we are addressing today. Titus chapter 2, uh, why don't we begin at verse 3. It says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior. Not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. And so was this kind of ministry women teaching other women, is that biblical? Yes. It's right here. It is biblical. So this is not only in the elder's realm. This is not only the responsibility of a Christian husband. There's also a responsibility to women in the church that they would disciple each other within that church. This is the only specific women's ministry in, that, in this sense that we have in Scripture. But it's a great example here. Older women in the New Testament, they served a lot of roles in the church. And in this case, obviously, these mature women are teaching the younger women how to live their faith out for Jesus Christ. And it, what's interesting to me is the curriculum, the curriculum that they use, because it's just outlined here. The curriculum is here. And the curriculum is kind of a three-part outline. The, the first aspect of this curriculum of older women teaching younger women 
is to honor God. That's the first part of the curriculum. If you look back at verse 5 of Titus chapter 2, the very end of the verse, it says, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. The reason for this, so that, the reason that these older women are teaching these younger women is so that the word of God would not be dishonored. That word dishonored there is the Greek word blasphemio. Blasphemia, that's where we get our word blasphemous. And so a Christian man and a Christian woman's actions, they're to honor God. Because that's the whole story of the gospel. That, that we were this way, Jesus Christ saves us, and now he changes us to be different people because of God's Holy Spirit living inside of us. That's the story of the gospel. Christ is the one who changes us. And so uh, a man and a woman's life honors God. But when a man and or woman's life does not honor God, when a person's life is not honoring to God, well, that is blasphemous. Because it's not honoring to his gospel. The gospel of transformation is not honored in that, and so then it would be blasphemous. And so these older women, mature, godly women, are encouraging these young women to live lives in honor of Jesus Christ. And it mentions all sorts of different aspects of this here, loving their families, being sensible. That just means using good judgment, which typically improves with age and with more spiritual uh, direction. Uh, Pure, that's just moral purity, sexual purity, being faithful to the husband, um, focused on the home and the family. And all of these things reveal a transformed life. It, it highlights the gospel. It adorns the gospel when a person's life is seen to be transformed because that honors God that the gospel worked in their life. So these older women know that, and they're teaching these younger women how to honor God. The first part of the curriculum of women discipling other women, honor God. Second in this is love their kids. Those women are to love their kids. Go back to verse 4. At the end of it, it says to love your children. That's one of the aspects. It says to be sensible and pure workers at home. The insinuation is that this mom is at home and she is caring for her children. And this is a high calling. It is a demanding calling to be a mother. It is a divine calling to be a mother. It is a valuable one in and of itself, even if it doesn't bring in income, even if the rest of culture and society minimizes uh, a mom and her responsibility to her children. Biblically, godly, this is a high calling of a mom that is loving and caring and raising her children. And one of the greatest pressures for young women today is this pressure from the culture, the cultural perception that being at home with the kids is like in some way (laughs) some sort of male bondage. And we have to get out of the male bondage and go do what everybody else is doing. And it is true. I mean, there are some days when all you have running around you are toddlers running around you all day long, all day, in their terrible twos, all day long. And so when your husband gets home and you want to hand the toddlers to the husband and you want to get out for some sanity, do it. Yes, do it. That's great. You need it. 
But that's not what our culture is talking about. What our culture says is that a woman can go do anything that they want to do. They can do anything a man can do. You need to leave you need to leave that home behind and go do whatever you want. But these older women, they, they know better. They know from experience. They know from experience that all of that other stuff that society wants you to do, all those things that all the other men are doing is nowhere near as impactful as a mom raising her kids. This is how cultures are changed, by moms loving and raising their kids, and it is hard, and it is difficult, but it is a high calling, an important calling, a divine one for moms. Like I said, the implication here is that this is a mom who's at home, that this is like a one-income family, and that is hard. That is hard to do. I mean, in our, like in the, just the last two years, rents have just oh, skyrocketed. It is hard for young families. Food prices, boom, skyrocketed. It is, it is hard. Our whole pay structure in our culture is almost reversed, you know, because the way our pay culture works is when you're young and new, you, you, you don't get paid a whole lot, and your highest earning potential is like in your 50s when all the kids are already out of the house. Don't you kind of wish that the husbands were paid the most at the very beginning so that the wife could stay at home and then later on when it doesn't matter, then it doesn't matter. That's not the way our culture works. And so it's hard. It is hard for a family for there to be only one income in our culture today. It's always been that way, but it's hard today. Now, I totally get it. When the the ship is sinking, (laughs) everybody bails water. If the family's going down, everyone finds a way to participate in the income. That's just the way that it is. But I think Paul, who's writing this here, would say, you might want to look at anything else you can throw overboard before you throw mom overboard. You might want to look anywhere else at any of your other expenses before you throw mom overboard. And even the message here is no matter the circumstance in the family, no matter what's going on, that these older women are teaching the younger women that they need to love their children in every way possible, practically teaching them the practical ways of life, physically, socially teaching them morality, godliness, teaching them the things of Christ and the gospel. This is a high calling. It's a difficult calling. It's a divine calling, and it's valuable whether it brings in income or not. So this is the curriculum, though. Remember, these older women are teaching the younger women, honor God, love your kids. The third part of this curriculum is love and submit to your husbands. Look at verse 4. It says, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands. And then you skip down in verse 5. After their workers at home and being kind, they're being subject to their own husbands. Verse 4 is love. Verse 5 is submit. Love certainly has to come first in that. A wife's role in the family is to give preference to her husband's leadership in the home. And that is like the ultimate display of love and respect in a home. 
You know that Ephesians chapter 5, the whole passage about what husbands should do and what wives should do, it ends with this verse. It says, each individual among you is to love his own wife, even as himself. That's for husbands. That we sacrifice for our wives like Christ does the church. Then it says, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. That she fits into the, the leadership of her husband. That she fits into his plans. And this is a hard thing to do. This does not come naturally for women. It did originally. Did you know that? It did originally. When Adam and Eve were created, they had the perfect harmonious marriage. When Adam and Eve were created, their marriage was so great. No arguments, no disagreements, no one wrestling for authority in the home, no one saying, you're telling me that I'm that. You can't tell that to me. None of that. It was a perfect marriage. But then remember, we studied last week about the fall. The fall of mankind, that first sin, and that sin broke everything. Remember we talked about it? It broke biology. It broke chemistry. It broke everything. It, it broke our own souls. But another thing that it broke was it broke relationships. It broke the relationship within marriage. And in Genesis chapter 3, where that sin occurs, then God goes down and starts to describe all of the results of that sin. And he gets to Eve. And this is one of the things that, that God says to Eve as a result of that sin. He says, your desire will be for your husband. And you think, aw, that's so sweet. That my desire is going to always be for my husband. Now, is that true? That's, that's not the message. The very next few words after this is that he's going to be the leader in the home and your desire is for the leadership in the home. And so that's why this age-old battle that you battle in your home all of the time, it started all the way back in Genesis. That's why it doesn't come naturally to fit into the plans of your husband. That's why this, this respect thing is, is commanded by God and empowered by God because it doesn't come in our natural nest because of sin that we are living in. And so this whole men leading in the home thing, this has nothing to do with superiority and inferiority. This has nothing to do with more ability and less ability. God could have equally had made women the leaders in the home. But remember, this is just ease of function. Think of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit submits to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ submits to God the Father. It's not about superiority or inferior. It's not about I have more abilities and you have less abilities. The Godhead isn't, isn't struggling and, and fighting for authority in the Godhead. It's just about ease of function. Someone has to be the leader, but everyone can't be the leader. Someone needs to be the quarterback. Not everybody can be the, the quarterback. But I think there's a really interesting application, though, here in our homes and our families regarding this curriculum that, that women are discipling other women with in this church. I don't think that a husband ever should say to his wife, you need to submit to me. And you might think, well, but, well, but who's, who's going to tell her? <laughs> Biblically, it's the older, mature women in the church that are going to tell her that. That's what we're reading. They've learned these lessons. They, they, they know this to be true. 
not just have heard this to be true, they know it to be true because possibly earlier in their marriage, they attempted to usurp the authority in their home. And they are still holding on to the, the relational scars or the marital scars from that decision all the way back. And now they've learned there's a better way. There's a better way to harmony in the home. There's a better way than that, and so now they're teaching that better way to these younger women. Hopefully, these younger women don't replay the mistakes that they'd made. Now, these older women are examples to the younger women in all three of these things, all three of these examples here. And so, we have these three aspects of ministry. Are they biblical? Absolutely, they're biblical. All, all three of them are. Women serving in ministry, contributing to the church body, bringing unity, absolutely, Biblical. Women being the recipients of ministry, the elders providing for their spiritual growth, their husbands helping them grow spiritually with the goal of presenting uh, their wives holy and blameless before God? Absolutely. Women being responsible for discipling and teaching other women within the church? Absolutely. That is biblical. This is as far as the Bible goes. Anything beyond this is not biblical. Anything beyond this is not biblical. Now, that's not meant to be a controversial statement. I'm just saying that this is as far as it goes. I'm not saying that anything beyond this is immoral or illegal or ineffective. I'm just saying that as we read the Bible here, as far as the Bible goes to describe ministry, uh, including women, this is, this is as far as it goes. I don't see like spa day trips to the local mikvah in the New Testament. You know, there were some churches, I looked it up on Google Earth, there were some churches that were near enough to high mountains that had snow on them certain times of the year where they could have taken bus trips to, uh, to these high mountains in the first century. They, we just don't see ski trips in the first century. Most of the churches are pretty close to water, but we don't see any women's ministry trips to the beach. We don't see any beach trips. Now, I think we should do all those things, except the ski trips. I don't like ski trips. I don't like the cold. Okay, keep me out of the cold. I don't want to be there. Okay? But I think everything else, everything else is just fine. A, a church is within complete liberty when it comes to things beyond this. This is biblical. And then beyond that, a church has enormous amount of freedom in how they implement these aspects of things or in addition to these sorts of things. So let's apply this, but let's apply this first biblically, and then we'll go to whatever else we want to do. But first biblically, women serving in ministry. If you're a member here at Grace Community Church, if you're a Christian here at Grace, we want you to serve in ministry here. Not only do we want you to serve, we need you to serve here at Grace. Not because we have holes that we need to fill. We need you to serve for our common good. We need you to serve because God placed you here and you have God's Holy Spirit living inside of you and we need those spiritual gifts to bring unity in our church. And so if you're here at Grace, this is your church home and, and you have yet to find a, a, a place of ministry, then my recommendation is just start somewhere. You might not know what your spiritual gift is just because you have not fanned any of the, the flames of passion that God has given you. And so it's probably hidden somewhere in there. And so start somewhere. Just start somewhere. We have a, a million options. Like right now, we have people, many of whom are women, in our kids' ministry right now, right here. I know this might blow your mind, 
but there are people here two services amount of time on a Sunday morning. That's why we have two services, by the way, because we have some people who serve in ministry during the first service so that then you guys are here now. But there were people here first service who are now serving in ministry. And so we would love for you to serve in ministry. Our kids' ministry on a Sunday morning, it's a great place. On Wednesday night, we have our kids' ministry. You could serve in kids' ministry on Wednesday night. There are, there are a ton of, you could use your, I know some of you have rhythm. I can hear you sing, okay? You have, you have some rhythm. And we'd love for you to, to, to use your spiritual gifts here. Maybe being a Barnabas host with your husband. There's, there's a lot of places to begin to serve. If you're not sure where to start, just start somewhere. And continue serving in that thing that you find until God moves you to another area of ministry. I've not seen, there's no example in the Bible, God removing someone from ministry, but then, then him not calling them to another ministry. So, serve in that ministry, use your spiritual gift all the way until God moves you to another one. You can go to our website. There's a little section there in serving. You can click that. You fill out a little short thing. But an even an easier way is in our lobbies. You've seen those tall signs in our lobbies that have the square QR codes out there in our lobby. One of them just says serving. And you just point your phone's camera at it and you click the link. It just does take you to our website to fill out three questions so that we can begin to find a place for you to serve. And I don't know if this was like God ordained this. I don't know what happened. I walked through the lobby this morning looking for the sign just to make sure that the sign with the QR code of serving still exists out there. And I walk in this morning, and I don't know if this was divine movement of God or miraculous or what, but that sign is right next to the women's restroom. I don't know who put it there. I don't know how it ended up there, but it's the perfect spot. So now you know where to go. The sign right next to the women's restroom, just point your camera at the sign, the QR code. You know, take you just to a link, fill out three questions. And if you remember here at Grace, we'd love for you to begin to serve the Lord and use your spiritual gifts here because that is biblical. What about this other one, women being the recipients of ministry? Well, we have a lot of that around here. We have a lot of opportunities for you to learn the Bible. Sunday morning is one of them. Wednesday night is another one where we teach the Bible verse by verse, personal application to whatever we're, we're studying. We have our foundations class led by one of our elders. We have Growing Kids God's Way taught by Pastor Chuck. We have a finance class to help families get out of, uh, get out of debt. All sorts of different places for you to learn the Bible. But this is where husbands come in too. Because husbands, you, you remember, you're going to participate in this. Hopefully, our church gives you wonderful tools for you to use in, in edifying and building up your wife. But you have to use them. So it might be that you might get home from work and, and she might hand you the kids so that then she could come and learn the Bible herself in one of our um, women-only Bible studies. And guys, it's possible that you might just need to like rearrange your calendars a little bit where you just make priority Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings. You can put all of your other stuff everywhere else in the week, but Sunday morning and Wednesday night, leave for, leave for learning from God and bring your family and bring your wife and allow her to learn from God's 
God's Word. She might need a little bit of extra cash if the, if the Bible study she's doing has a book that will help them learn the Bible more. Make sure that she has what she needs in that area. Here's one. I'm almost afraid to, I'm afraid to mention this one, but I'm going to throw it out. Okay, guys, on your way home from Sundays, you get in the car, ask your wife if she has any questions about what happened, about what was taught about the Bible on your way home. And that's like scary. And the reason that's scary is because you know your wife is smart. And she might ask you a very hard question, but I'm prepping you. Okay, this is what you're going to do. Oh, okay, let me think about that. That's what you're going to say. Okay, let me think about that. Next thing you do, Monday morning, call me, okay? (laughs) Call me, call Pastor Chuck, call Pastor John, send us an email. We'll help you find the answer. You're going to go back and be the hero to your wife. We want you to be the hero in your family, okay? So call me. We'll, we'll figure it out if she asks you a good one, okay? Okay. Women are to be recipients of ministry, and we as husbands are the front lines in that. Now, what about this last one? Ministry for women and by women? Well, we have a lot of that here, too, at, at Grace Community Church. We have women's small groups that are led by wonderful, godly women here. We have other various places where women can get in and serve other women, like our women's breakfast. Um, we have a, a, a mom's timeout class, older women teaching younger women. We have our secret sisters. We have Barnabas groups. There's a lot of different ways where older women can teach younger women, and you can get involved in serving in that area, or you can glean from the women who are here at Grace Community Church. These are all wonderful aspects, biblical aspects of ministry to and for and by women. Now, once we cover the biblical stuff, now... We're at liberty to, to do whatever else that we want. Ski trips and beach days and retreats and uh, mission trips and all those. Those things are all great, but we have to remember that biblically all those extra things are like, they're like the cherry on top, you know? They're the things that just make it even a little, a little, more, a little different, a little unique. But underneath that cherry, that's where the real biblical women's ministry occurs. That's possible that you're here today and you desire some of the things that we talked about. You desire to have spiritual gifts. You desire to have salvation in Jesus Christ. You desire to have this grace that comes from God. Well, the message that I gave you earlier today is for everyone in this room, whether men or women, if you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can. You can receive God's Holy Spirit that comes and lives inside of you. You know what's an interesting aspect of the gift that you receive when God's Holy Spirit comes inside of you, that one of the aspects of the Holy Spirit is the Bible says that he is a seal or he is a promise. He, he is the promise that your soul is going to go to heaven when you die. And so if you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, today's a day where you can do that. Jesus was born of a virgin. He did live a perfect life. And so when he died on the cross, he wasn't dying for his own sin. He wasn't paying for his own sin. His death was not for him The death was for those of us who need it. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God in a place called hell. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And maybe you need life in Christ Jesus our Lord and have the Holy Spirit come and live inside of you. If you'd like that, you just talk to God. I'm going to ask all of you, would you all be willing to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute, whether you know you're going to heaven or not, this just gives the person next to you a chance to consider these eternal things for a minute before 
life turns again and you head to lunch. This just gives a, a, a minute to consider eternal things. Do you know that your soul is going to heaven when you die? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? And if you'd like that to be, you can talk to God. It's called prayer. You don't need to say anything out loud. You already know what's on. He, God already knows what's on your mind. And the quietness of this time, you can talk to God. Don't need to say anything out loud. But this is what you can say to him. You can say, God, I know that I've sinned. I know that that separates me from you. And I realize that I need a Savior. And I believe that Jesus is that Savior. I believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. I believe that he lived a perfect life. I believe that he died on the cross for my sin. And I put my faith, my trust in this Jesus. I even believe the impossible. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead on Easter Sunday. Because of that, I believe that he can do everything the Bible says that he can do. I put my eternity in the hands of this Jesus. With your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, yes, the immediate promise is that God the Holy Spirit does come live inside of you. It's a wonderful gift. He will begin to give you gifts to live your life for him. So God, we as a church family, we thank you for this. We praise you for your provision for us spiritually and our salvation. But even beyond that, we praise you for your Holy Spirit that, that when implemented in a church brings a common good. God, I pray that Grace Community Church would find unity because of your Holy Spirit's work inside of the people here at Grace. That's why we're here worshiping you today is because of your work in us. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.